If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift, made possible by Envy Pillow. It's a Canadian-designed ergonomic pillow that cradles your face and aligns your spine and was created by Kathy and Kim, two registered nurses with your health and the planet in mind. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. This is a place of happy endings and where we hope that your day will have one as well, since we're here together. This story is from the Book of Dragons by the wonderful British author Edith Nesbitt, who wrote some beautiful stories in the late 19th century and continues to influence authors even to this day. We're visiting the Book of Beasts, edited just for you, and this drift sleep story about a young king who conjures the most amazing creatures simply by opening some magical pages. But first, let us find a place of relaxation and comfort. Have a nice big stretch if room allows. And curl your toes if you can. And then release. See how good that feels. Now, let your arms and legs fall heavy. And give your hips and your shoulders your neck and your jaw permission to just release their hold. Let your eyelids feel heavy. And now, just take one slow, deep inhale. Now release it even more slowly. And as you do, thank yourself for this time with me as I thank you. And now, with one more breath in and out, if you're ready, let's drift. He happened to be building a palace of blocks when there was a knock at the front door and voices talking downstairs. And Lionel thought it was the man come to see about the gas, which had not been allowed to be lighted since the day when Lionel made a swing by tying his skipping rope to the gas bracket. And then, quite suddenly, Nurse came in and said, Master Lionel, dear, they've come to fetch you to go and be king. Lionel bolted off, and in the drawing room there were two very grave-looking gentlemen in red robes with fur. They bowed low to Lionel, and the gravest one said, Sire, your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, the king of this country, is dead. And now you have got to come and be king. Yes, please, sir said Lionel. When does it begin? You will be crowned this afternoon 
said the grave gentleman, who was not quite so grave-looking as the other. Would you like me to bring nurse? And hadn't I better put on my velvet suit with the lace collar, said Lionel, who had often been out to tea. Your nurse will be removed to the palace later. Never mind about changing your suit. The royal robes will cover all that up. The grave gentleman led the way to a coach with eight white horses, which was drawn up in front of the house where Lionel lived. Lionel ran upstairs at the last minute, and he kissed nurse, who said, Goodbye, ducky. Be a good young king now. Say please and thank you, and remember to pass the cake to the young ladies. And don't have more than two helpings of anything. So off went Lionel to be made a king. He'd never expected to be a king any more than you have. So it was all quite new to him. And as the coach went through the town, he had to bite his tongue to be quite sure it was real. Half an hour before, he had been building with bricks in the nursery. And now the streets were all fluttering with flags. Every window was crowded with people waving handkerchiefs and scattering flowers. There were scarlet soldiers everywhere along the pavements. And all of the bells of all the churches were ringing like mad. And like a great song to the music of their ringing, he heard thousands of people shouting, Long live Lionel! Long live our young king! He was a tiny bit sorry at first that he had not put on his best clothes. As they went along, the grave gentlemen, who were the chancellor and the prime minister, explained the things which Lionel did not understand. I thought we were a republic, said Lionel. I'm sure there hasn't been a king for some time. Sire, your great, 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 Grandfather's death happened when my grandfather was just a boy, said the Prime Minister. And since then, your loyal people have been saving up to buy you a crown. So much a week, you know, according to people's means. You know, it's the rule that the crown must be paid for by the people. But didn't my great, great, however much it is, grandfather have a crown? Yes, but he sent it to be tinned over for fear of vanity, and he had all the jewels taken out and sold them to buy books. He was a strange man, a very good king he was, but he had his faults. He was fond of books. Just then, the carriage stopped and Lionel was taken out of the carriage to be crowned. Being crowned is much more tiring work than you would ever suppose. And by the time it was over, and Lionel had worn the royal robes for an hour or two, and had had his hand kissed by everybody whose business it was to do it, he was quite worn out and was very glad to get back into the palace nursery. Nurse was there, and tea was ready. Cakes and jam and hot buttered toast 
and the prettiest china with red and gold and blue flowers on it, and real tea, and as many cups of it as you liked. After tea, Lionel said, I think I should like a book. So Lionel went down into the library. The prime minister and the chancellor were there, and when Lionel came in, they bowed very low and were beginning to ask Lionel, most politely, what on earth he was coming bothering for now. When the boy cried out, oh, what a world full of books. Are they yours? They are yours, your majesty, answered the chancellor. They were the property of the late king, your great, great, yes, I know, Lionel interrupted. Well, I shall read them all. I love to read. I'm so glad I learned to read. If I might venture to advise your majesty, said the prime minister, I should not read these books. Your great, yes, said Lionel very quickly. He was a very good king, oh yes, really a very superior king in his way. But he was kind of, well, strange. In fact, he was called a wizard. But he wasn't? Of course not. But I wouldn't touch his books. Just this one, cried Lionel, laying his hands on the cover of a great brown book that lay on the study table. It had gold patterns on the brown leather and gold clasps with turquoises and rubies in the twists of them and gold corners so that the leather should not wear out too quickly. Oh, I must look at this one, Lionel said, for on the back in big letters he read, The Book of Beasts. The chancellor said, don't be a silly pint-sized king. But Lionel had got the gold clasps undone, and he opened the first page, and there was a beautiful butterfly, all red and brown and yellow and blue, so brilliantly painted that it looked as if it were alive. There, said Lionel, isn't that lovely? Why, but as he spoke, the beautiful butterfly fluttered its many-colored wings on the yellow old page of the book and flew up and out of the window. Well, said the shocked prime minister as soon as he could speak, that's magic, that is. But before he had spoken, the king had turned the next page, and there was a shining bird, complete and beautiful in every blue feather of him. Under him was written, Blue Bird of Paradise. And while the king gazed enchanted at the charming picture, the bluebird fluttered his wings on the yellow page and spread them and flew out of the book. Then the prime minister snatched the book away from the king and shut it up on the blank page where the bird had been and put it on a very high shelf. And the chancellor gave the king a good shaking and said, you're a naughty, disobedient little king. 
and he was very angry indeed. I don't see that I've done any harm, said Lionel. No harm, said the Chancellor. How do you know what might have been on the next page? Well, I'm sorry if I vexed you, said Lionel. And they settled down for a nice quiet game of X's and O's. But when the boy was in bed, he could not sleep for thinking of the book. And when the full moon was shining with all her might and light, he got up and crept down to the library and climbed up and got the Book of Beasts. He took it outside to the terrace, where the moonlight was as bright as day. And he opened the book and saw the empty pages with Butterfly and Bluebird of Paradise underneath. And then he turned the next page. There was some sort of red thing sitting under a palm tree, and under it was written, Dragon. The dragon did not move, and the king shut the book rather quickly and went back to bed. But the next day, he wanted another look, so he took the book out into the garden. And when he undid the bejeweled clasps, the book opened all by itself at the picture with dragon underneath, and the sun shone full on the page. And then, quite suddenly, a great red dragon came out of the book and spread vast scarlet wings and flew away. And Lionel was left with the empty page before him, for the page was quite empty, except for the green palm tree and the yellow desert and the minute streaks of red where the paintbrush had gone outside the pencil outline of the red dragon. And then Lionel felt that he had indeed done it. He had not been king 24 hours. And already he had let loose a red dragon to worry his faithful subjects. And they had been saving up so long to buy him a crown and everything. Lionel began to cry. The chancellor and the prime minister and the nurse all came running to see what was the matter. And when they saw the book, they understood. And the chancellor said, you naughty little king. Then Lionel, in a flood of tears, said, it's a red dragon, and it's gone flying away to the hills, and I am so sorry. Do forgive me. But the prime minister and the chancellor had other things to think of. They hurried off to consult the police and see what could be done. Everyone did what they could. They sat on committees and stood on guard and lay up in wait for the dragon. But he stayed up in the hills, and there was nothing more to be done. The faithful nurse, meanwhile, did not neglect her duty. She put the king to bed without his tea. And when it got dark, she would not give him a candle to read by. 
You are a naughty boy king, she said. Next day, the dragon was still quiet, though the more poetic of Lionel's subjects could see the redness of the dragon shining through the green trees quite plainly. So Lionel put on his crown and sat on his throne and said he wanted to make some laws. And I need hardly say that though the prime minister and the chancellor and the nurse might have the very poorest opinion of the boy's private judgment and might even send him to bed, the minute he got on his throne and set his crown on his head, he became infallible, which means that everything he said was right and that he couldn't possibly make a mistake. So he made several new nice laws, and when they were written down, he went home and made mud houses and was very happy. And he said to his nurse, People will love me now. I've made such a lot of pretty new laws for them. But nurse said, don't count your chickens, my dear. You haven't seen the last of that dragon yet. Now, the next day was Saturday. And in the afternoon, the dragon suddenly swooped down upon the common in all his hideous redness and carried off the soccer players, umpires, goalposts, ball, and all. Well, then the people were very angry indeed, and they said, we might as well be a republic after saving up all these years to get his crown and everything. Lionel did his best to be a good king during the week, and the people were beginning to forgive him for letting the dragon out of the book. After all, they said, soccer is a dangerous game, and perhaps it is wise to discourage it. Parliament met on the Saturday afternoon, a convenient time, for most of the members would be free to attend to consider the dragon. But unfortunately, the dragon, who had only been asleep, woke up because it was Saturday and he set his sights on the parliament. And afterwards, there were not any members left, so they tried to make a new parliament. But being a member of parliament had somehow grown as unpopular as soccer playing, and no one would consent to be elected, so they had to do without a parliament. When the next Saturday came around, Everyone was a tad nervous, but the red dragon was pretty quiet that day and only ate an orphanage. Lionel was very, very unhappy. He felt that it was his disobedience that had brought this trouble on the parliament and the orphanage and the soccer players, and he felt that it was his duty to try and do something. But what? Things were growing very serious. The next week, the dragon was a perfect nuisance for the whole of Saturday, except during the hour of noon, and then he had to rest under a tree, or he would have caught fire from the heat of the sun. You see, he was very hot to begin with. At last came a Saturday when the dragon 
actually walked into the royal nursery and carried off the king's own pet rocking horse. Then the king cried for six days, and on the seventh, he was so tired that he had to stop. He heard the bluebird singing among the roses and saw the butterfly fluttering among the lilies. And he said, nurse, wipe my face, please. I am not going to cry anymore. Now, nurse, dear, I know I'm right, so kiss me in case I never come back. I must try to see if I can't save the people. Well, if you must, you must, said nurse. But don't tear your clothes or get your feet wet. So off he went. The bluebird sang more sweetly than ever. And the butterfly shone more brightly as Lionel once more carried the Book of Beasts out into the rose garden and opened it very quickly so that he might not be afraid and change his mind. The book fell open wide, almost in the middle, and there was written at the bottom of the page, Hippogriff. And before Lionel had time to see what the picture was, there was a fluttering of great wings and a stamping of hoofs and a sweet, soft, friendly neighing. And there came out of the book a beautiful white horse with a long, long white mane and a long, long white tail. And he had great wings like swan's wings and the softest, kindest eyes in the world. And he stood there among the roses. The hippogriff rubbed its silky, soft, milky white nose against the small king's shoulder. And the boy thought, but for the wings, you are very like my poor, dear, lost rocking horse. And the bluebird's song was very loud and sweet. Then, suddenly, the king saw coming through the sky the great, straggling, sprawling, wicked shape of the red dragon. And he knew at once what he must do. He caught up the Book of Beasts and jumped on the back of the gentle, beautiful hippogriff. And leaning down, he whispered in the sharp white ear, Fly, dear hippogriff. Fly your very fastest to the pebbly waste. And when the dragon saw them start, he turned and flew after them, with his great wings flapping like clouds at sunset. And the hippogriff's wide wings were snowy as clouds at moonrise. When the people in the town saw the dragon fly off after the hippogriff and the king, they all came out of their houses to look, and when they saw the two disappear, they prepared for the worst. But the dragon could not catch the hippogriff. The red wings were bigger than the white ones, but they were not so strong. And so the white-winged horse flew away, and away, and away with the dragon pursuing, till he reached the very middle of the pebbly waste. 
Now, the pebbly waste is just like the parts of the seaside where there is no sand, all brown, loose, shifting stones, and there is no grass there and no tree within a hundred miles of it. Lionel jumped off the white horse's back in the very middle of the pebbly waste, and he hurriedly unclasped the book of beasts and laid it open on the pebbles. Then he clattered among the pebbles and had just jumped on his white horse when up came the dragon. He was flying very feebly and looking around everywhere for a tree, for it was just on the stroke of twelve. The sun was shining like a gold coin in the blue sky, and there was not a tree for a hundred miles. The white-winged horse flew around and around the dragon as he writhed on the dry pebbles. He was getting very hot indeed. Parts of him even had begun to smoke. He knew that he must certainly catch fire in another minute unless he could get under a tree. He made a snatch with his red claws at the king and hippogriff, but he was too feeble to reach them. And besides, he did not dare to overexert himself for fear he should get any hotter. It was then that he saw the book of beasts lying on the pebbles, open at the page with dragon written at the bottom. He looked and he hesitated, and he looked again, and then, with one last squirm of rage, the dragon wriggled himself back into the picture and sat down under the palm tree, and the page was rather singed as he went in. As soon as Lionel saw that the dragon had really been obliged to go and sit under his own palm tree, because it was the only tree there, he jumped off his horse and shut the book with a bang. Oh, hurrah, he cried, now we really have done it. And he clasped the book very tightly with the turquoise and ruby clasps. Oh, my precious hippogriff, he cried, you are the bravest, dearest, most beautiful. Hush, whispered the hippogriff modestly. Don't you see that we are not alone? And indeed, there was quite a crowd round them on the pebbly waste. The prime minister and the parliament, and the soccer players and the orphanage, and the rocking horse, everyone who had been eaten by the dragon. You see, it was impossible for the dragon to take them into the book with him. It was a tight fit, even for one dragon. So, of course, he had to leave them outside. They all got home somehow, and all lived happily ever after. When the king asked the rocking horse where he should like to live, he begged to be allowed to go and live on the hippogriff's page of the book. I should like, he said, to live somewhere where dragons can't get at me. 
So the beautiful white-winged hippogriff showed him the way in, and there he stayed till the king had him taken out for his great-great-great-great-grandchildren to play with. As for the hippogriff, he accepted the position of the king's own rocking horse, a situation left vacant by the retirement of the wooden one. And the bluebird and the butterfly sing and flutter among the lilies and roses of the palace garden to this very day. <laughs> and that's our story. Now, drift off on big white feathered wings and sweet dreams. <laughs>